Welcome to the AWS Rethink Podcast, here to help you rethink your strategy in the cloud. I'm your host, Nolan Chen. And I'm your host, Malini Chatterjee. In today's episode, we talk about serverless computing. Here to join us are AWS experts in serverless computing. Please welcome our guest speakers, Sabha Parmeswaran and Hardik Vasa. Welcome to both of you. Uh, before we dive into our main topic, let's start with introductions. Uh, Sabah and Hardik, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what your role is here at AWS? Uh, hi, folks. My name is Sabah Parmesuran. I'm a senior solution architect at AWS. Been with AWS for close to four years now. I come from an application development and enterprise integration background, so I specialize a little more on serverless, uh, particularly on serverless compute. I'm part of the serverless TFC technical field committee that actually helps customers with the serverless adoption as part of their cloud journey. Great to be here. Okay. And how about you, Hardik? Yeah. Thank you for having me on this episode of podcast. Happy to be here. I'm Hardik Kwasa, senior solutions architect at AWS, supporting our small and medium businesses customer segment. Um, I specialize in serverless with focus on messaging domain. And being in frontline gives me this opportunity to talk to customers on a regular basis about their technical and business challenges and how they embark on their journey to serverless. Welcome. So Hardik, why don't we get started with understanding a little bit about what is serverless? Yeah. When we think about serverless, it is more of an approach to the architecture design that allows developers to build and run applications and services without having to manage the underlying infrastructure. And it is exactly what it sounds like, serverless. Developers can write code and deploy that code without um, having to worry about the infrastructure, networking, servers, um, you know, the database components, the storage components, and so on. When we talk to customers, they often tell us that managing servers take considerable time and resources. You have to spin up servers or virtual machines, take care of availability, scalability, software updates, security patches, amongst other things, right? And by adopting the serverless architecture, now developers can offload this responsibility to the service provider. Uh, this way, they can let service provider, in this case, AWS, do most of the heavy lifting and the teams can really focus the energy in writing the application logic, which is what matters to them. Thanks, Hardik. So I think that helps because I think when I first heard the term, quote, serverless, it sounded a little too good to be true. So without oversimplifying, is it fair to say that in a serverless architecture, there still actually are servers out there, but they're just now being managed by a cloud provider? Yeah, that is correct. Um, servers, serverless does not mean that there are no servers involved. Uh, under the hood, everything still runs on servers, and these physical servers are still used to host the services, but developers do not need to be aware of them. And, and that's uh, what serverless stands for. Uh, just uh, You just provide your business logic and some parameters, 
and let AWS handle the server management for you. Thank you, Hardik. So to elaborate on that, can you give me some examples of serverless applications? Yeah. So serverless architecture design allows you for various application use cases. And this includes building the RESTful APIs that allows for interaction with RESTful web services on the, or the backend services. An example here would be service-to-service -service type integration. Um, or build an event-driven application like trigger-based tasks. For example, placing an order on an e-commerce website would trigger a chain of events before the package is finally shipped to your address. Or building an asynchronous processing um, is another use case. For example, when you place an online order in a restaurant, you know um, the information is sent to the restaurant so that they can start preparing your order but you can also send this information asynchronously to your billing department for record keeping or save it to a mobile application so users can view this order history at a later time. Uh, some of the other use cases of serverless architecture involve CICD, which is continuous integration and continuous delivery of your application, file conversions and transformations, retrieving user-specific content from website, log aggregations, serverless analytics, and so on. Wow, that's great, Hardik. So uh, I have heard some of these applications that you have mentioned. Now let's help me understand to put them into some perspective. For which type of applications does serverless come alive? Yeah, so serverless allows uh, applications to be hostless, right? There's no host or set of hosts on which you run your code. They're stateless, no record of execution across different invocations. They're scalable, um, infrastructure is scaled up and down based on the demand. They're distributed where different microservices can communicate with each other seamlessly. And they are event driven. So services um, is not running until there is an incoming event. Uh, this pretty much a serverless offering for most of the common use cases. But, you know, in general, when we, uh, when it comes to serverless, I think we're just getting started. Thanks, Hardik. So I think I heard you mention that there's pretty much a serverless offering for most of the common use cases. Could you guys tell me which specific AWS services fall under the serverless umbrella? So coming to serverless, there are a lot of services, but uh, let's talk about serverless compute. AWS offers several services that deal with serverless compute, where you can leverage the services specifically for workload that need to run on servers, specific servers. So we have AWS Lambda, which is a serverless event-driven compute service that lets you run your code for virtually any type of application or backend service without provisioning or managing the service. So this is more focused around short stateless interactions that can be triggered on an event. We also have Amazon API Gateway, which is a fully managed service that makes it easy for developers to create, publish, maintain, monitor, and secure APIs at any scale. So the key word is APIs. So APIs are the front door or basically the interface for the implementation you might 
actually run on the backend service. So the interface decouples from the implementation and API Gateway helps you manage those APIs. So it actually helps with authentication, authorization, scaling, throttling, rate limiting and things like those. And it actually scales at any load. So it actually helps you create and expose RESTful APIs and also supports WebSocket APIs communication between applications. Okay. So I heard Lambda and API Gateway, and you said um, Lambda runs code, and API Gateway is like a front door. So is API Gateway typically also a front door to Lambda? Typically, but API Gateway can also expose other services in the backend. So you can actually have the API be public or a private API. So that would be exposed mm -hmm. to your clients or internal internal own consumers, and you can put in the specific policies around it. And that way you can actually decouple the implementation. You might be changing the implementation and have multiple versions of the APIs that would route based on the requirements. What about containers? Are containers part of serverless services? Yeah, now that uh, we are talking about containers, yes. AWS also supports running containers on serverless infrastructure. So we have an option called Fargate, AWS Fargate, which actually allows you to run containerized workloads without managing the underlying servers. So AWS Fargate is compatible with two of our container orchestration services, Amazon Elastic Container Service, commonly called ECS, as well as Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service called EKS. Okay. So you do have the option to run containerized workloads on serverless with AWS. Okay. So, so far you've talked about several services, starting with Lambda and the API Gateway and then uh, containers with Fargate. If you got all these services running, is is there something to help customers put this all together, like in a workflow? Yeah, but interesting that you talk about workflow. Yes, we do actually have solutions to orchestrate application interactions to compose uh, like an orchestration between these services that can be running on a Lambda. It might be running through events, waiting for things to be kicked off or to wait for some response to come back. So we actually have AWS Step Functions, which is a low-code visual workflow service that developers use to build distributed applications, automate IT and business applications. Step Functions helps you to combine multiple Lambda functions or other services into your responses serverless applications and microservices. You can also orchestrate data and services that run on containers or easy to instances or even on-premise servers. Okay, cool. So Step Functions is a service that can help you build a workflow for Lambda, Gateway, and Fargate. But so far, these services that we've talked about, to me, they're compute services. Uh, but is serverless just all about compute, ser so compute services? Or are there other kinds of serverless so, services? Uh, Within AWS, we also have other servers, other services that are serverless, where you don't have to worry about the underlying infrastructure. So some of them are focused on like streaming. So we have Amazon Kinesis, which allows you to collect, process, and analyze real-time streaming data. So you can get timely insights and react quickly to inf new information. So Kinesis is a streaming solution that's serverless. You don't really worry about underlying infrastructure or worry about the scaling aspects of it. We do it all for you. 
Similarly, we have AppSync, which is for serverless GraphQL and PubSub API service, publish and subscribe API service. So again, you might want to actually collate multiple data from different sources. We actually help you build such applications using AppSync. On the messaging okay. side, we have SNS, simple notification service. We also have PubSub option with the SNS. And SQS is for the messaging, simple queue service, which is our native queuing service. Okay, a lot of services out there. In, in addition to compute, you've also got like messaging services and um, data services. Now, earlier Hardik said like um, serverless computing is ideal, for example, say for uh, event-driven services or services that need to scale easily up or down. But could you give me an example of workloads or applications that might not be good for serverless? So serverless is kind of aimed at running lean, simple or fast stateless interactions. So it's comparable to like a Uber service. You don't really want the Uber driver to be sitting there waiting for you to, you take like an hour meeting and then basically your Uber driver is still waiting for you. So that would be a waste of the compute service or the Uber driver's time. So with serverless applications, you are more focused on stateless, fast or short-lived interactions, which can be executed with something like this. The other option is like, this is aimed at people who can really use this really fast and quick and done with. So that way we can continue to scale with other customer demands. If you are actually trying to run like a monolithic application, which actually is quite state heavy, it keeps waiting for backends to come back with a big response. It has to collate or remember interactions that happened previously for long periods of time. That might not be a great fit for serverless because we are looking at more shorter ones fast interactions and things like those or it might be that your application is quite complex that it requires a lot of custom tuning probably it requires a lot of custom system libraries you have customized it you need to tune everything from the lowest stack onwards like from the operating system the hardware and everything so those might not be a great fit for serverless because serverless is more of like where we actually under manage the underlying infrastructure for you, we tune it and we kind of get it to run in an optimal manner to support a wide variety of workloads. While your requirements might be very, very specific, require specific tuning parameters, which might not be applicable for a serverless. Additionally, it can be like you actually have specific constant workloads that you really know well. You can really plan for it. And then in that those cases, you might be able to just run those on a EC2 instance. Serverless is here, like we actually take care of the scaling aspects of it, and it is for unpredictable loads. So that way, like we can actually scale as and when needed. If you actually have a constant workload, then you can actually plan it and get those specific instance types that match and deliver for your workloads. And you can reduce on the cost because if you think about it, serverless does bring agility and productivity to you at a little bit of a cost because we actually take care of the underlying infrastructure take care of the patching and everything. On the other side, like, yeah, if you do know your specific workload behavior, the patterns that the capacity is required, you might be able to fine tune and build it out yourself. Thanks, Abba. Over to you, Hardik. So I did hear 
uh, Sabha mentioning about uh, the problem of scalability, which is solved by serverless. Can you also help uh, in listing some other problems that serverless is solving? Yeah, for sure. And we have um, gone through some of, some of it in bits and pieces, but let me um, talk about some of the challenges that serverless help address. The first one is scalability, right? When we have a piece of code running on AWS Lambda function, for example, the infrastructure scales automatically in response to the number of incoming requests. This is all happening in the background, so you don't have to manage resource provisioning. Um, the, the next one is ease of use. When you use um, AWS Lambda, and again, I'm, I'm just taking an example of the service, uh, for running your business logic, you can quickly deploy and test your code in a test environment. Then using our CI/CD best practices, once you successfully test the code, you can push it automatically to a stage or production environment. If you encounter any issues after deployment, you can quickly roll back those changes. This in turn allows you to move from idea to market faster. Um, you eliminate operational overhead, so your teams can quickly release um, new versions of your applications, get feedback, and then iterate to get to market faster. Serverless also lowers your costs if you look at the total cost of ownership. You pay for value, um, and this is almost like a pay-for-value billing model. Um, you pay for resource utilization, and um, you never pay for over-provisioning um, that you may do when you are managing your own servers. In all, serverless is relatively easy to get started with fewer resources and scales based on your application demand. Okay. Well, you said relatively easy to get started, but forgive me, but I'm a little bit skeptical. But So could you tell me what some real-life challenges might be with setting up a serverless implementation for the first time? So the serverless design actually helps you be agile and uh, help the scaling aspects of it. But ultimately, it all depends on your underlying architecture, your underlying services you use, or how you expose or consume services. So in serverless, you lack actually control over the underlying operating system or the software stack your code is running on. So if the stack fails or if the dependent services fail, then you need to handle those things. So you need to be cognizant of that. Like let's say your Lambda is dependent on a database service running inside your VPC. You have your Lambda associated with the VPC. You need to make sure the underlying database has a multi-AZ failover option. Or if it has to go, it, it needs to be associated with multiple subnets so that way it can actually handle failures if one AZ goes down. So in AWS, we actually have a shared responsibility model where AWS takes care of the availability of services while you are responsible for the application availability. Other challenges is like uh, you might be encountering something called a code start where serverless actually starts running your code that has not been run previously. Let's say like there was no workload request coming in to your code. So there was no instance running and suddenly you have a request coming in 
and that would actually go through something called a cold start where we need to create a sandbox environment with the right runtime environments and your application code and actually start executing your code to handle that particular even coming in so that would go through a cold start so you need to make sure like things are either warmed up sufficiently enough or you plan for those we do have different options and you are also much more efficient in a way to reduce that cold start delay so we do have tools different options that we can actually help to reduce cold start delays keep it always warm using provision concurrency or doing your own cron jobs to make repeat requests to the lambda instances things like those so there are always challenges like if you need like more control over the native stack and things or your underlying services are not highly available things like those we you need to actually plan accordingly thanks abha so i understand that uh, there has to be a planning to under, uh, for the workload and the architecture behind the scenes if it is applicable for serverless or not uh, two things that you mentioned about having the control on the dependencies or so and also uh, encountering the maybe a little bit of extra latency uh, just in case of cold starts so how do i make a decision to migrate to serverless architecture what does a typical migration from a self managed servers to serverless look like can you please elaborate so serverless is a great fit and complementary to microservice based architecture because microservice based architectures are more focused on specific domain design where each service is focused on a specific function and delivery so you can actually break them across separate them and scale them independently and if those are more stateless where they are actually persisting the state outside of their immediate code that would be a great fit for serverless so the main the key on concept would be is to understand the design what is the data flow like what is the interdependency between services how we can actually break them apart as microservices then start looking at which portions can be fit into the serverless services so like the can the messaging be handled by sqs can this particular event execution or action on an event be handled by lambda can these apis be exposed to the api gateway so you start building out the design identifying the related serverless services once you actually have the design you start building it out evaluate it you test it and migrate so there can be a lot of different dependencies and things so you might have to kind of be cognizant of what is the data flow like what is the interdependency between them how do you handle things for reliability high availability the scaling aspects of it once you are actually identified all these designs and start planning these out then you can start going through the evaluation and the test on the migration thank you saba i want to dive a little bit into costs i think one of the attractive things about serverless is you're you're, you're no longer paying for a, you know an underutilized server 24/7 but can you comment on whether serverless really is less expensive than self-managing the infrastructure and what the pricing model looks like 
yeah with serverless essentially you only pay for what you use so think about it like with a typical on-premise system or a typical servers, you would actually have the servers up and running all the time, whether a request comes in or not. With serverless, the instances are only, you are getting charged only when the instances are executed for the duration of the time you are using them. There would also be the data transfer cost that I need to mention here. So you are basically charged for the compute time and the data transfer costs. So if you are able to, optimize your function in a way that it actually is responding specific to specific events without wasting a lot of like uh, waiting for a response coming back from a different backend and things like those you can definitely reduce the cost what ultimately happens is you only pay for what you use you don't really have a server sitting idle so that way like the cost is much more reduced you are also not wasting cycles patching or maintaining or upgrading the underlying hardware or the virtual images or the virtual machines right so this actually improves your productivity be 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 able to be more agile with lambda it actually has a lot of integrations built in so you don't have to worry about how do i handle like consuming from sqs you basically say like i am going to subscribe to sqs this particular destination give me a trigger provide the events for me so you don't really reinvent the wheel writing the application logic to say like how do i look up or consume a message from a sqs destination or kinesis or any of those so it actually helps you be much more productive being more agile not worry about the underlying infrastructure or worrying about the capacity planning and things like those so overall it kind of brings you better benefits and reduces the overall cost of ownership but if you actually have stable workloads where you exactly know the requirements you really know what to do and how to do it and you have been running it for long and you have really predictable workloads you might be able to run it all on a ect instance that you self-manage and you might be able to bring down the cost even further okay so to, to bring up a simple analogy it's kind of it sounds sort of like it's almost like buying versus renting so if i heard you correctly if i do have a workload that pretty much runs at high utilization 24 7 then serverless probably isn't the best choice right yeah you can uh, state that like it's a bit like a bit in uber versus uh, leasing a car for like a week so if you are going to use a car continuously without uh, during a week, the way you're traveling in and out of places and things, and it needs to be, you need to be constantly on the road, it might be better to just lease a vehicle for a week or a month compared to taking Uber. Uber basically brings you the benefit of like no longer having to worry about parking, uh, taking care of the driving, but then the bill does go up, right? If you are going to continuously use it for the whole week, not just like once or twice a day, but it's like every day, let's say you are using like 20, 30 times and throughout the whole week, then the bill goes up. So you need to make a conscious decision. Like, do I actually need it to be continuously used? In that case, you can run with the EC2. If it's like unpredictable and you don't know when things need to be scaled up and down, it might be better to go with the serverless. Okay, got it. Well, that covers costs. I want to now talk about another important topic that is security. So from what I gather, serverless can involve different services all working together. How do you make sure all these services together are 
are secure. Yeah, I want to start by mentioning that cloud security at AWS is our top priority. Uh, and we have a deep set of cloud security tools consisting of many security, compliance, governance, services, and key features that are available for our users. Security and compliance are a shared responsibility between AWS and you, the customer, and something that Sabha previously alluded to. Um, you benefit from the data center and network architecture that is built to meet the requirements of the most um, security-sensitive organizations. While AWS is responsible for protecting the infrastructure that runs all of the AWS cloud. In the serverless model, customers are free to focus on the security of the application code, the storage and accessibility of sensitive data, observing the behavior of their applications through monitoring and logging, and identity and access management to the respective service. Let's take an example of AWS Lambda yet again. In, in the Lambda service, we provide several security features to protect your code and data. Data protection via encryption, um, whether it's in transit or whether you have um, a requirement for encryption at rest. You also have identity and access management, as I mentioned previously, where you define who has access to your Lambda functions and associated resources. You, you then have compliance validation for AWS Lambda, where um, AWS as a service provider would continue to gain compliance certifications like SOC, HIPAA, FedRAMP, amongst others. You also have resiliency with AWS Lambda where you can deploy your functions across different availability zones. And that sort of also scales your infrastructure security um, with, with AWS Lambda. And then there is configuration and vulnerability analysis with AWS Lambda. Um, for example, using AWS Trusted Advisor service, you get um, the best practices with how you have your limits configured or how you're scaling your Lambda functions or whether or not you have appropriate policies in place for your Lambda functions. Similarly, we have security features that are available with other serverless services and offerings in AWS as well. Well, thanks, Hardik. I know the, the topic of security can be a whole episode in itself, but appreciate you listing all the different services and starting with the shared responsibility model. But can I ask, um, because serverless is about now the cloud provider managing more stuff for you, and when I mean stuff like the servers, would that mean they actually in some ways manage to make it easier for the customer in terms of security because AWS is now also managing more of the security if you're managing the servers? Yeah, good question. So when it comes to serverless, as compared to when we talk about servers, the security is moved higher up in the layers where now you don't have to worry about the OS patching, security patching, the underlying servers that run your containers or, or serverless functions. Now we just worry about security of the application or the business logic itself. So here you are managing 
the security of the code um, as well as its associated resources. So, you know, because it's higher up now, you have less things um, to take care of when it comes to security, at least not the, the hardware, the underlying resources. Okay. I, I would say that the managed security is a, another reason to go with serverless then. Thanks. So now that we covered the important topics of cost and security, I want to understand a little bit on what is at the, uh, available for the developers. What tools are there for serverless development, Hardik? Yeah. So um, I can just quickly go over some of the tools that are available for serverless development. We have SAM, uh, which is our serverless application model. And SAM is an open source framework for building serverless applications. Uh, it provides shorthand syntax to express functions, APIs, databases, and even source mappings. So with just a few lines um, per resource, you can actually define the application you want and model it using YAML or JSON. We also have SAM CLI tool to do the same functionality with a command line. So you can use um, SAM CLI on any operating system like Windows, um, Mac OS, Linux, and, um, and model your code. We then have CDK, which is the AWS Cloud Development Kit. And AWS CDK is an open source software development framework to define your cloud application resources using your uh, familiar programming languages. So in your programming language of choice, you use predefined components. You then model those components into infrastructure. And then finally, you deploy it using AWS CloudFormation. And then, of course, we have AWS CloudFormation itself, which helps you speed up the cloud provisioning with infrastructure as a code model. AWS also integrates with other third-party tools to architect, design, deploy, and test the serverless applications. Wow, that seems a lot. I think I have learned quite a bit starting from what is serverless, what serverless applications do, what are the typical challenges that are faced by serverless applications, um, something about the cost, how to manage the security, also the tools at the disposal for the developers. Now, Sabah, can you tell me and the listeners, where can they go to learn more about serverless? Uh, serverless is a great option for people to try out because uh, most of the service, serverless services are available on the free tier. You can actually start uh, testing with a sample Lambda either by yourself from scratch, or you can actually use a lot of those ready readily available samples that are available in Lambda stuff functions and things like those. So each of these services actually have samples. So you can actually pull those up. We also have hands-on workshops for folks who are interested. Your account team can actually help run the immersion day. We also have partner-led workshops, webinars, where you can actually try things out in an environment provided by the AWS team or the partner. We also have a lot of videos available on YouTube around serverless topics. Uh, we actually have a lot of 
blog post on our AWS serverless blog site. You can also look at different architectural patterns, sam code samples, and things like those from serverlessland.com. It's serverlessland, L-A-N-D.com. So they actually have a lot of patterns over there as well as samples. And there is also an associated YouTube channel, so you can actually follow the experts on the latest topics, uh, implementation details, design options, and things like those. Thank you, Saba. So definitely serverlessland.com is something that I'm going to check out right after this. Well, with that, it comes to the end of another exciting discussion. Hope this can help our customers rethink their strategy in serverless computing. What about you, Nolan? Yes, this was really helpful to me too, particularly in helping me rethink serverless strategy in the cloud. I also want to thank our audience for joining us today. And to our audience, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us your feedback by emailing us at rethinkpodcast at amazon.com. So thank you. Until next time.